It is 2 Corinthians 3.18, I believe. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as, through, as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. May God add a blessing to this reading of the text and cause it to be the inspired word for us today. It is a joy for me to be with you today. What a blessing to share, to get to know you, to spend some time in uh, the middle, (laughs) as it were. It is a privilege to be with you, and I bring you greetings from your family in Evergreen, in various states, who think of you often, hear Curtis's laugh wherever they are, and rejoice in that. I am glad to be here on this day. And I loved the the theme when Curtis told me about it. Because that's where we live, isn't it? We all have masks we wear. Some of them are given to us by others. Some of them we give to ourselves. But we all live in them. There's a comedian. Chris Rock is his name. And he says that when you meet someone, you don't meet them. You meet their public relations person. And it takes a while until you get to know the actual person. So there are many masks in this world. For the, for the most part, many of us get to choose the majority of the masks we use. But there are two masks that affect our lives profoundly. One we choose, the other is given to us. Now, the first component of the first facade ascribed to individuals by dominant societal structures, oh, I'm sorry, that's, that's actually a lecture, We'll do the sermon today. Maybe I'll start with a story. I, uh, I used to be uh, the pastor of a church. And um, this was a, a very northeast church. Huge stained glass, very similar to this. Uh, massive stone structure. A big tower. It looked like a castle. You know, sort of keeping people out. And, uh, and lots of landscaping to do around it. We had just started a, a group of uh, Spanish-speaking members in our church, and, and a whole lot of them worked in landscaping. So on Easter Sunday, they thought, we'll get there at sunrise, finish off the landscaping, and then when people come from East, for Easter Sunday, they'll see a landscape church. And this was going to be their gift. And I thought I would join them. Now, 
I know what I look like and my black hair and black eyes and such. But in spite of that, I really know nothing about landscaping. <laughs> so I was just about useless. But I was there. So they had me doing things like cleaning up and moving dirt around. And, you know, so after an hour, and when they had realized how useless I was, I was just, just kind of sitting around begging for a job. But they didn't even think I could use a shovel. So I was just trying to not be in the way. We're running a little late. We're all dirty. And people begin to come in for Easter Sunday. Because we have breakfast, you know. So people are coming in. And uh, they're just walking by us. Because they're going to church, you see. But they're not saying anything. So after a couple of people walk by, I thought, well, I remembered I was the, I'm the pastor, so I should be greeting people. So as people began walking by, I began saying, Hey, so-and-so, I'm glad you're here. And then they say, Oh, Pastor Doug, so-and-so, Jose, Carlos, hi, so good, thank you for doing this. And they would go in, you know. That was the day I disappeared. Because my physical appearance and the clothes I was wearing, along with the work I was doing, all were elements of a very common invisibility mask we give those we think are below us. So people were going to church on Easter Sunday, walking right by people they would go to church with normally, and they were unable to see them. They were walking by me, and, and, and they would see me very much in this position every Sunday, and they still wouldn't see me. Because I had the mask of someone below. So I became invisible. I wonder how many people in your world you hand out this invisibility mask to. When you walk around town, when you walk around your life, when you enjoy the things that you enjoy, like clean spaces and landscape things, and I wonder how many and how often you hand out invisibility masks. Now, these are masks we give others. And for some of us, these are masks we receive. I... Wearing a suit helps me be a little bit less invisible. Now, still, the most powerful mask is the one we build for ourselves. The well-crafted work of art that we use to convince the world and ourselves that we really are as good as we wish we were. Um, you know, it's, it's easier to make masks now. For you guys up here, you know, I'm so old, I used to Vine. Like, I used to have Vine videos up, and that's like 2014 or something. That's how old I am. You know, but there's filters, and everyone's life on Instagram is beautiful. Unless it's intentionally not beautiful. But everybody knows that's intentionally not beautiful. So, 
the mask we give ourselves, the one that, that helps us tell ourselves that we are really as good as we wish we were, that one is a powerful mask. You know, I was recently at a denominational life and diversity group. This is a group of people who have been chosen to help all of our churches in our denomination, 5,000 plus churches, to, to live into diversity in a Christian way, welcoming in a meaningful way. And as we, as we begin this meeting, a gentleman says to me, look, I, I don't, I don't want to back and forth with you, but uh, I just have to say that when I came to Jesus, I was transformed, and now I see the world as Jesus would. Go ahead. Wow. I wish I saw the world as Jesus does. I guess he's in the right place, right? But this made me think of, of, uh, of an author, Joan Didion. She said, uh, most of our platitudes notwithstanding, self-deception remains the most difficult deception. Now, it seems to me that she does not mean that self-deception is the harder one to achieve. What she means, rather, is self-deception is the most difficult one to see. Because deception, after all, is lying done very, very well. It's lying that sounds like truth. And self-deception is even more powerful because it's so very difficult to see it. But you see, the problem with lying is that it's not easy to learn what would be the best way to fool somebody. It's not easy. It takes work. It takes time to be with them. It takes time to learn them so you could manipulate them. But since we live with ourselves, we're very good at manipulating us. Which is why we are so good at fooling ourselves. We know the right things to say. We know the right excuses to make. We know the correct justification just in the right way. We know the right buttons to push. Or maybe it's just me. Is it just me? It might be. I don't know. You might be very good at not self-deception. We'll see. Now, what does this have to do with Scripture? At the time of Second Corinthians, there were many claiming to be from the Messiah. There were actually many Messiahs. Uh, there were many false prophets, and like today, many were very convincing and deceiving, even convincing people that Jesus wanted the world to be the way they said Jesus wanted the world to be. They were very good at that. And there were good people deceiving themselves into thinking things like, of course Jesus would want us to go to war. Because the Romans have it coming. Now, the beginning of this chapter hints at the results of that. In the beginning of the chapter, we get a wonderful explanation of, of what is happening. We hear something about, about, we don't need to tell you who we are. You don't need a letter from us. Did, have you read the beginning of this? It's not far before our, lecture, our reading today, but if you read there, if you have it with you on your phone or, or uh, actual paper, 
uh, and would like to follow along, you could see what it says there. And the reason we have that is because at that time, everyone needed a letter of introduction so that you could know that the person who was speaking to you actually could speak to you. And from then on, we get a beautiful explanation and some medicine for deception. And we do this so that we may not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Now, I know for some of us, Satan is troublesome, and there is a question with translation there. But uh, the deceiver, we do this so that we might not be deceived. Now, and then we get to verses 12 through 15, and this is one final warning. And I love that because it seems like Paul knew that we're not very good at learning from other people's mistakes. Have you realized that? Parents know this. You know, we see this coming and we tell them, I did this. And they say, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I'm smarter than you. You don't even know how to use your phone. So Paul knows that we're not very good at learning from other people's mistakes, but he still wants to help us, help us avoid those. So he tells us about someone everyone there knows and respects. In essence, he says, now you don't want to do what Moses did, because you know how that went. And then, and then we get to verse 16. Everything changes in verse 16. But, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. All of us with unveiled faces, seeing the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed. Transformed into the same image. One degree of glory to another, for this comes from God. Wow! I wish I was a good preacher so I could convey to you the power of this message. It's amazing! Freedom. Americans know freedom, right? Well, at least we know my freedom. And as long as you don't get in the, in the way of my freedom, we're good. But this freedom is different. This freedom is from God. This freedom is for everyone. This freedom is one to be. Not to be better than. But one to be. Now, of course, the problem is that our masks are very convenient. Our masks are comfortable. Like a heated blanket in wintertime, a warm sweater, the perfect pair of shoes. They are like, like a place we love after a long absence. Do you know what I mean? You get there and, ah, oh, this. I love this. 
The masks we make for ourselves are so comfortable, they fit so well, and most importantly, they feel right. I have a dear friend of mine, so let me tell you about his mask. He firmly believes that there is no systemic racism. He says, oh, I know there are racists, and I don't like them. But the government, the courts, the police, those can't be racist because they're systems. They're, they're not racist. Police can't be racist. I have police friends. They always tell me how fair they are. And he knows this profoundly. It's part of who he is. It's his mask. Because it makes the world better. It makes him feel better. I'm not a racist and neither are my family. And my friends are not racist either. There, it's fixed. But, but, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. The mask is off. We're exposed. That's painful. Right? I mean, no one here has come with their wake-up face. How would you feel if you had come with your wake-up face? Would you feel exposed? When the veil is removed, the problem with the veil being removed is that we could see better and it is more difficult to hide the things we have been working very hard at hiding. It takes full surrender to live into the nakedness of going without a mask. It is a journey that is often unpleasant, because it's full of discoveries we don't want to see. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Have you experienced freedom, the real kind of freedom? Have you? Do you know what that feels like? Maybe you've said a lie, and now you know you have to get it back, but since you already said it, now you have to cover for it, and then, you know, and then you're caught, and then instead of blame and trouble, you get love and forgiveness, and, ah, oh, so good. So good to be known for who you are. And maybe you've been sitting in a difficult time in life and someone comes along and they could see the real you and they love you and they understand you and they get it and you know they get it and oh. That freedom. That freedom is the one to which this passage leads us. So remember, this is not a morning of intensive listening and passionately asking God to free us from ourselves, this is a process that might take years. I know we love to say being born again because we're Americans and, and the quicker the better, right? 
So I'm born again. There, it's fixed. Thank you, Jesus. I did it in one afternoon. Now that just get me baptized and I could show people Jesus. This is unpleasant. This is long. This is painful. It hurts. It hurts in a way that is profound and we don't want it. But, but all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Step by step, little by little, stumble through stumble, mistake by mistake, forgiveness by forgiveness. It takes a long time, but at the end of that is freedom. It's hard to see that freedom because our masks won't let us. And we will resist. And we will fight. And we will say, well, what do you know? You don't know how hard it is to live here. What do you know? You're in an office somewhere in Seattle. What do you know? This is an actual quote from a church I started at. What do you know? I have clothes in my closet that are older than you. But all of us with unveiled faces seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror. What a beauty that would be. So I call you today. By all means, fight God. Sure, you're going to lose. But fight. If that's what it takes for you to be transformed. Fight God with all of your might. And when you lose, you're going to be exhausted. And, and willing to listen. And then, you might just be transformed into something you cannot yet see. But, you might just also be living into freedom. What a blessing that would be. Amen.